Well, yes, our theme, this, by the way, is because I'm, I do this live streaming on Facebook. So. Our theme for December is mystery, the practice of embracing life with humility and awe. Now, that's a lot to bite off at one time, I thought. So today, I'm going to be talking a little bit about mystery and humility. Next Sunday, I'll be asking, why is awe so awesome? And on the 16th, that's my mystery, and I'm sticking with it. Then Rev. Jim will be speaking on December 23rd. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. <laughs> and then I'll be back with a recipe for humble pie. But today, mystery and humility. Now, if there's one foundational thought in the Western tradition, it is that the truth is out there. It's out there and it's important. Take as an example of this words attributed to Jesus. Quote, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That's John 8:32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Sounds good. Finding the truth is a way to solve mysteries, after all, right? Now, mystery is pretty easy to define. It's stuff we don't understand. But truth isn't what we understand, is it? It's not the opposite. So my question is, what is it that we're talking about when we talk about truth? Maybe knowing how difficult truth is, is one way to keep ourselves humble. First, we must remind ourselves when we hear a statement such as, the truth shall set you free, that the truth didn't mean then what it means today. This is another thing that should keep us humble, thinking about time and language. The Greek word for truth in this instance, because those Christian scriptures were written in Greek, is aletheia, which means something like will be disclosed, aletheia. So that passage in the Gospel of John says something more along the lines of, you shall know the undisclosed, and the disclosure of the undisclosed shall set you free. Or, maybe, you shall know the evident, and the evident shall set you free. Aletheia, well, the ah is not, and lethe means something like, Oblivion. Lethe was the Greek spirit of forgetfulness, and you may remember one of the rivers in the underworld. After you cross the river Lethe, you forget about the world of the living. So perhaps John 8.32 says something more like, and you shall know what you have forgotten, and what you have forgotten will set you free. Or, <laughs> you shall know oblivion, and the knowledge of oblivion will set you free. You see the problem with translation. <laughs> it's all in the spin you want to put on it. 
And parenthetically remember that uneducated Palestinians in the time that Jesus may have lived did not speak Greek. And so everything reported in the Christian scripture is already a translation and interpretation from another language. But back to the Greek, aletheia. Aletheia is unforgetting or disclosing, but are those the same thing as truth as we commonly understand it. Now, excuse me if I go on, but the word truth is an old English word, actually. It necessarily does not occur in either Hebrew or Christian scriptures as they were originally written. The English word truth is ultimately tied back to the Proto-Indo-European word dru, D-R-U, which meant tree. And that's where we get the term druid. The old English word truth meant something along the lines of loyalty. Because you remember troth, as in the old-fashioned marriage vows, to you I pledge my troth, or troth, and which is what it means to be betrothed, right? So that's not exactly truth. It's more like loyalty. Nowadays, we hear the word forsooth, used ironically. But sooth is actually the closest Old English word to truth. And it meant fact, which is a, back to a Latin word, fact. Now, here's trivia for you. And I always try to help you, you know, do the crossword puzzle. Before the Latin word amen became the traditional standard Christian liturgy, the Old English Christians ended their prayers with the word suthlice, suthlice, which is let it be a fact. And as you may know, that's how I end our assemblies, so may it be. So you see, it's great to have a commitment to truth, but what are you actually committed to? Now, I've shared before Friedrich Nietzsche's view of what truth is. Uh, let me read it to you again. Quote, truth is a mobile army of metaphors, metonyms, and anthropomorphisms. In short, the sum of human relations which have been enhanced, transposed, and embellished poetically and rhetorically, and which after long use seem firm and obligatory to people. Truths are illusions about which one has forgotten that that's what they are. Hmm. Now, that's a postmodern thought, and I'll hang that up for a little bit and come back later. Tiglath Pilser III is not exactly a household name anymore. He lived 2,800 years ago, but in his lifetime, he was a big deal. He was the ruler of the Assyrian Empire, which encompassed what is nowadays parts of Turkey, Iraq, Iran, Syria, and Palestine. That's a lot of real estate. Tiglath-Pilser III would be even less well-known today if he hadn't caused a refugee crisis that made it into the Hebrew Bible. At that time, the Hebrew tribes, in case you don't remember your Hebrew history, the Hebrew tribes had split into two different and often warring nations. 
Israel in the north, and Judea in the south. Judea is where we get the term Jew. And the capital of Judea was Jerusalem. Tiglath-Pilser III's invasion of Israel in the north led to that major refugee crisis. The situation got so bad that a fellow by the name of Micah became a prophet. Now, yes, his book is one of those in Hebrew scripture, Old Testament. And Micah is the one who prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, speaking of December. Micah saw the refugees streaming in, and he heard the political leaders and the religious leaders saying, the 7th century BCE equivalent of, build a wall, call in the troops. And um, he saw that the religious authorities were definitely on the Fox News side of the equation. And so Micah felt compelled to get out into the street and preach against the moral outrage that he saw as expressly violating God's will, which he considered to be on the side of compassion. Micah was out to clarify the moral agenda. Now Micah is most famous for chapter six, verse eight in his book, which reads thusly, he hath shewed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And yes, walk is ableist language a little bit. But so one of our summer ministers that you may remember, Reverend Bill Holden, we held his uh, uh, memorial service here two or three years ago. Um, Bill was a humanist who amended Micah's verse to read thusly, what does your humanity require of you but to do justly, love compassion, and live humbly with your ideas. Now, I think that's a fairly good little moral code to live by. What does your humanity require of you but to do justly, love compassion, and live humbly with your ideas? Now, I think I hear someone thinking out there, yes, that's well and good, but I'm committed to the truth which you know is the opposite of mystery and it's nothing to be humble about. But you see, I more and more think as I grow older and think more about it that Nietzsche has it right when he talks about truth. Truth is, I'm afraid, a mobile army of metaphors that we have forgotten the source of. I think Nietzsche is correct. Are truths only illusions about which one has forgotten that this is what they are? Most postmodern philosophers agree with that point. So sure, there are facts, but truths are interpretations of facts. So I'm um, here, you know, take an example, one of our American favorites currently, firearms. It's a fact that firearms exist. It's a fact that firearms are readily available both legally and illegally. It's a fact that firearms are used in a majority of murders in the United States. Then there are the truths about firearms that both sides of the issue see as self-evident. 
Firearms are a guaranteed right of US citizens. Firearms are essential for self-protection, or not. Some types of firearms should be legal to buy and some not, or not, who decides? These are truths that are self-evident only to the people who hold those opinions. Flying bullets are facts. Mutilated bodies by flying bullets are facts. How and why those bullets are flying is interpretation, which is, as Nietzsche put it, a sum of human relations which have been enhanced, transposed, and embellished poetically and rhetorically. So you see this distinction. It's traditional to distinguish between truth and meaning, but a third element is often jumbled in. Actually, there are facts, there are truths, and there is meaning. And the change in verb tense there between plural and singular is important to remember. Facts are measurable and quantifiable by anybody, anywhere. Truths are interpretations of facts that enter into a shared social imaginary. In other words, lots of people agree on those truths. There is meaning, then, which is entirely subjective and personal. We can agree on facts. We can agree on truths, sometimes. Truths are created by intersubjective consensus. I think you agree with me. Though we have to be sure that we're talking about what is actually a consensus and not merely other people who think exactly like we do. And we can never actually know if our meanings have anything to do with one another. Meaning, like your favorite ice cream flavor, is personal and subjective. It's just yours. Keeping these things in mind can help us walk more humbly with our ideas, I think. Okay, I hear someone else thinking out there, but science is about facts, and they oppose religion, which appear to be only about the mysteries. So allow me to go on. The word science came into English from Latin, scientia, and it meant knowledge. Scire means to know. Science means to know. And know, K-N-O-W, by the way, derives from Old English. It's Kanawan. What I'm getting at here is that language in general is always problematic. It always is a set of metaphors and assumptions. You shall skire, know loyalty, and loyalty will set you free, is rather a different sort of claim than you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, you see. But another layer of problem I've been going on and on about the Greek for truth when actually the English translation of the Bible early on was out of Latin, the Latin Vulgate translation of Christian scriptures. Because most people in Europe in the 1600s didn't know Greek as of yet. 
but everyone read Latin who was educated. The Latin reads for that verse, et cognoscenti veritatem et veritas liberabit vos, which you can pretty easily translate because there are so many cognates, right? Those who know the cognoscenti shall know the truth, veritas, and the truth shall liberate them. Now, that's a little bit different. Now, the great fountainhead of Puritan thinking, John Calvin, deeply believed, as do United Church of Christ folks and UU folks today, that revelation is ongoing. And that more, the more humans learn, the more God is revealed. And Calvin deeply believed that eventually, God, the ultimate truth as he saw it, would be revealed by science. And that's why the great Puritan University, Harvard, has as their motto, veritas, truth. And we don't know, by the way, if John Calvin was on the right track, do we? Perhaps the more we know, the more that God is revealed. It's just that God isn't what Calvin and the Christian tradition thought God is. Who's to say? It's a mystery. What Calvin and his Puritan disciples didn't get is that God, that God gets revealed in further human knowledge, won't be the Puritan God. Right? It's still debatable whether or not God is being revealed by expanding human knowledge. Some naturalists argue that yes, Everything we've found is God. And others argue that we've stretched that term way beyond its limits, and we need to stop calling it that. Well, all of us on both sides of that issue need to be walking humbly, because we don't know. A few weeks ago, I mentioned the Pope's favorite atheist, the Italian philosopher Gianni Vatimo. He's the guy who is on the Pope's speed dial list as a good atheist uh, 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 companion and uh, someone to talk to about these uh, ideas. Vatimo is the guy who said, thank God I'm an atheist. Right? <laughs> Professor Vatimo argues in his book, The Future of Religion, that, quote, postmodern nihilism constitutes the actual truth of Christianity, end quote. Uh, I, let me unpack that a little bit. Vatimo argues that it's difficult to say that Christian culture hasn't permeated every thought in the Western tradition. I mean, it's been in control of Christendom for a couple of thousand years. The long culture war between Christianity and science has been about domination, also a Western idea. Both sides have tried to control the apparatus of meaning. But science, says Vatimo, as did John Calvin, is the revelation of truth, veritas. And Vatimo concludes that the ultimate truth, the ultimate epiphany of Christianity is, wait for it, atheism. Now, I know that sounds a little odd, but consider this dangerous idea, because I get to have dangerous ideas too. 
The Christian revelation is that God became human, if you want to boil it down. That's what that big Christian celebration coming up this month is all about. Now, take, as Vatimo would argue, the miraculous out of all those stories. Take out the virgin birth. Take out rising up from the dead. And you have God becoming human, which is mm, humanism. Now, I hope all of you will attend our new program today, Atheism, Humanism, and Naturalism, a non-theistic continuum by Dr. William Hart. Dr. Hart is in the room. I'm so glad you're here today. Dr. Hart is on the academic cutting edge of the stuff that I've been talking about today, and he will enlighten you, I can guarantee. I'll leave you with the quote that's in your order of service this morning up there at the top. It's from the British philosopher John Gray in his new book, Seven Types of Atheism. And yeah, Gray is an atheist, but he believes that atheism needs to grow up. He says, quote, religion is no more a primitive type of science than is art or poetry. Scientific inquiry answers a demand for explanation. The practice of religion expresses a need for meaning, which would remain unsatisfied even if everything could be explained." End quote. Think about it. Science is about facts, not about what we're going to do with those facts. What ought we do in the face of the Tiglath-Pilser III's that pop up throughout human history. What should we do with them? The prophet Micah didn't need the theory of relativity to figure out what to do. What does your humanity require, he asks, but to do justly, love compassion, and live humbly with your ideas. <laughs>